I think we'll go ahead and get started with our work session. The first um, one, I wanted to say hello to everybody. Um, hope you enjoyed Dr. King's day yesterday and did something to celebrate all the great work uh, that he did for our nation. Um, so hopefully everybody had an opportunity to join in some festivities and there's more that's happening this week. So uh, just uh, look at our website, the City of Iowa City website, and you'll see some more opportunities to celebrate Dr. King's life. All right, we are going to go with our first item, which is the city annexation policy, and it is IP3 and 4 from Info Packet, January 14th. And so I'm going to ask our city manager um, to maybe lead us in this one. Thank you, Mayor. Um, and just uh, by way of update for, for you all and for the public, um, this was uh, prompted uh, by the recent annexation application that we had for the Carson Farm property, which is on the west side of the community. Uh, the council um, had some discussions about that and, and you ultimately deferred uh, that annexation indefinitely at the applicant's request. Uh, since that last meeting, uh, the applicant has withdrawn the application, uh, which means that it is no longer uh, kind of pending your consideration in that indefinite status anymore. If the applicant wishes to bring that annexation back to the city, um, they will have to start the whole process over again, which, which um, will uh, place them at the Planning and Zoning Commission before it gets back to you. Uh, that being said, um, I still think that there's some urgency to, to get some direction from council on any changes to the annexation policy that you wish to see. Um, while we don't have any other annexations pending at this very uh, moment, as the council is aware, we've been uh, building infrastructure to support uh, annexations in other parts of the community, and those applications could, could come forward at any time, and it's uh, best that we have some clarity around that. So uh, in your packet, um, as IP3, you have the uh, staff memos from 2018 when this uh, policy was created. Uh, those will show you a little bit of the evolution of the policy from the initial staff proposal uh, to some suggestions that were offered by the HCDC uh, Commission and uh, Mayor Throgmorton at the time, and kind of goes to show how we ended up where we did uh, with that policy. Um, it has only been, there's only been one annexation, a smaller annexation off of American Legion Road uh, that has fallen subject to that policy. So we don't have a ton of experience with it. Um, but again, if, if there's going to be changes, it'd be good to, to, to get those wheels in motion now. So really this item was placed on your work session agenda uh, to allow you some discussion um, and uh, hopefully um, you can discuss whatever process you feel uh, is, is needed uh, for us to revisit that, uh, that policy. Um, IP4 also has some recommendations from the Johnson County Affordable Housing Coalition. So just wanted to make sure you, you noted that in your packet as well. Thank you, Jeff. So counselors, I, um, I think we are where really just talking about the affordable housing plan, um, maybe where, where we want to move forward. The Carson, as Jeff mentioned, that is off the table for now. 
I, I have just a quick question, and maybe I've missed it along the way somewhere, but when it comes to the 10% requirement uh, for the units in, in the development, the proposed development uh, be affordable, is that left up to the developer to decide, say maybe they have, it's a 20, it's 20 units, so two of them have to be affordable. He makes those two, he or she makes those two, uh, two bedroom units. They're, they're smaller and less expensive. Uh, so is that up to them or is there somehow we can have some sort of a clause that says that uh, the affordable units would have to be comparable to the other? I mean, I, I know we probably can't tell them what they can build, uh, but I, I just had a concern about that. Yeah, that's a, it's a very good and legitimate concern and one that's addressed in a lot of affordable housing policies you know, across the country. You want to make sure that the affordable units don't, don't stand out in any way when you're building new neighborhoods like that. Um, the current language um, reads that, um, that the income target shall be consistent with the city's existing program requirements. I think from a, um, a staff uh, standpoint, we would... Um, Kind of carry that over into um, uh, other other requirements. So, for example, in the riverfront crossings policy, the um, unit mix has to be consistent with the, the the market rate unit mix. So, if your building if your building has all uh, um, has a mix of three and and one bedrooms, we would expect the affordable units to be a mix of three and one um, with, uh, you know, with, with similar type of placement, you know, we wouldn't in an apartment building, for example, in riverfront crossings, we wouldn't put all the affordable units on one floor. They'd be scattered throughout the, the building, uh, again, so that you, you, you couldn't really tell which units were affordable. And we, we would carry that over to the, uh, the, the annexation policy uh, as well. Uh, so we're, we're definitely, um, mindful of that, of the importance of that. And I think the existing, language gives us enough in my opinion to to um, work with that i agree with that i think i was um i, I want to chime in here i i, w I of course was one of the ones that asked for us to pause a little bit for uh, the affordable housing piece um, and I think a lot of that had to do with us creating an affordable housing plan for our community. And so, of, of course, it was very nice to see in writing um, what the staff submitted as well as what the Johnson County Affordable Housing Coalition submitted, um, just the history of what happened um, with you know, with the decision, of course, I read that a little bit beforehand. Um, it was kind of nice to reread it again. I saw, um, of course, recommendations from the Affordable Housing Coalition. Um, I guess my bigger question would be uh, for staff, where are we with the creation of affordable housing uh, group for our plan? Yeah, so in that same information packet uh, about midway through would be, um, let's see, it's uh, IP, sorry, uh, IP7 in that packet. Um, I just have a quick memo update letting you know who that I have asked to be on that committee. Uh, so there's a 12 member committee um, that is now gathered and uh, my next task is to find a a date and time that works for all 12 members. Um, usually scheduling that first meeting is the, the most difficult. So we've got some 
scenarios out to those members to, to figure out the best time that'll work. I expect we'll be able to get together in early February and my communication uh, to those 12 members is, is that uh, uh, it's my hope to have that plan wrapped up in uh, September or October so that if there's any budget considerations, we can get that rolled into the next fiscal year's budget proposal. Thanks for that update. And, and I know uh, some of the members are very eager to get started on that. With the knowledge of this going into you know, September, um, I think that just becomes a little bit of a challenge, you know, if we should see anything come across our tables again uh, from their affordable housing piece. And it, it may not even be annexation, but it could be something, you know, local uh, that's already within the city limits. And so, um, I, I, you know, I think one of the things that Jeff asked us to do is to kind of give some direction and I guess mine was more so of a pause to try to figure out uh, where, you know, what is the plan for the affordable housing group that's going to come together to do some recommendations to council. Um, I, I certainly didn't have that information a couple of weeks ago. I knew that it was going to be in the works, and now we do know that we have a created group that's going to be moving forward. Um, so I, I don't know that I really have any directives towards to give to staff. I I feel that depending on whatever comes before us, I'm going to have to consider it at that time, um, depending on the size and scope of the project. <clears throat> My thoughts were... Uh... I mean, I think that, I guess to me, there's two issues here. One is, one I think is a really big process issue, and I guess I'm a little bit concerned with the comments you just made, Mayor, about how, with the idea that we're going to be developing a new affordable housing plan, I guess I'm not sure what you're thinking. That I would hope that people are not thinking that we're simply going to put all development that deals with affordable housing on hold until we have a new affordable housing plan. I mean, typically what, in the 11 years I've been around in the city, we have always... Um, I believe, and staff can correct me if I'm wrong, but if we have been working on something and there were plans of some change coming forward, we have typically always gone with what was in place at the time that process was started. Um, so to even consider that we might not, um, might not look favorably on a development or might uh, make decisions based on an upcoming plan, I find, frankly, quite troublesome. And I guess that was one of my real big concerns with, you know, the, the lack of, um, I, I guess it was one of my big concerns with the discussion on the annexation was that we already had an annexation policy in, in place. And it just seemed like the discussion was about, well, let's hold off until we can change, potentially change that annexation policy. It, I mean, to me, that decision on that annexation should have been simply based on the annexation policy that was in place um, and not delaying things because now we're in the middle of that process and want to change. So I, I think we have the whole issue of how does this council work in terms of process? And I, I find that very concerning. The second one is what do we think of the annexation policy itself? And I think the staff and community and a lot of stakeholders put a lot of time and effort 
into that annexation policy two years or well, two, two and a half years ago in terms of affordable housing related annexation. And personally, I'm comfortable um, staying with what we currently have. If, if we are going to entertain something different, I think it's gotta be a whole lot more time and effort than just looking at one memo. I think we really have to bring all these people back to the table and I, I would prefer to stay with what we have. It's pretty new and we've only had one annexation um, and I think it was a big improvement from what we'd had. Well, I was, I was pleased to hear from the Affordable Housing Coalition, which uh, essentially said that at least with respect to Carson Farms to stay with the existing policy uh, annexation policy. Uh, they, they did uh, suggest that we grant the land some of the other options, uh, you know, that one could consider um, were set aside, I think in part because in my mind, the, the piece of property is so large, uh, close to 200 acres that uh, granting the land to, to either the city or to um, how is it worded here? Um, to nonprofit affordable housing developers or and or to the city uh, made made a lot of sense to me for Car Carson Farm uh, because it's such a large parcel. It seems like a great opportunity to consider on-site affordable housing. So with respect to Carson Farm, I think I would I would support their recommendation uh, when it when it comes back to the city and goes through the process. Um, in terms of the affordable housing update, um, you know, perhaps if possible, we could look, you know, look at the, the issues before that, that group, that committee, and see which ones would be the highest priority moving forward. So it may be possible if, for example, we wanted, you know, given the time sensitivity of the annexation you know, affordable housing uh, as it relates to annexation, that's a great opportunity to, to enter into the agreement, uh, what we want. Uh, if, if it's something that the committee decides to, you know, in the, in the big picture to accelerate within that planning process so we could have it uh, as soon as possible, that might be one option. But for Carson Farm, uh, I think the idea of following, you know, supporting basically the suggestion of the Affordable Housing Coalition makes a lot of sense in this case. And so for me, as it, in terms of the issue that we had before us, which was Carson Farm, um, I'm very comfortable uh, with, with their recommendation. I just want to put a little bit finer point on that. Um, I think the Carson Farms is off the table now. And the recommendation that we received was to stay with the existing policy and essentially uh, require one of the three options that the current policy provides. So if, if that was where we were gonna land, we should have approved the annexation and, and directed staff to you know do, do what they could to get the um, one option chosen over the other two. I don't, I, I just have a little bit of a, maybe a little bit different process concern, but but piggybacking off of what Susan said, I mean, the, the majority of this council approved the existing policy. 
And I, you know, again, when, when I'm sitting here looking at what might we want to change about the policy, I appreciate that we've got a new affordable housing group forming uh, to, to look at new recommendations, but I don't think it's appropriate for us to defer um, not, not just this project, which is off the table, but to defer indefinitely any other projects that might come before us. I mean, people, the, whether it's the landowners or, or um, residents who are, you know, have an interest in affordable housing or the nonprofit stakeholder groups like the Affordable Housing Coalition, everyone benefits from knowing what the rules are and where we stand now. So as I said at the last meeting, I'm, I think the current policy is good. It went through a thoughtful process with a recommendation from HCDC and, and the council and the mayor and public hearing at the time. So I don't, I don't really see what it is we need to reevaluate or change. And I think that's the direction staff's looking for is, is there something we wanna change? Well, I'm, I'm not suggesting changing. I, you know, the, the recommendation from uh, the Housing Coalition was to maintain the existing, you know, work within the, the framework of the annexation policy as we have it. And of the options, they, they were leaning toward the option of acquiring the land, a 10% equivalent for affordable housing. Uh, of the three options that would be available. That, as I said, that seemed to me to be given the size of this property, uh, an option that I would lean on, lean toward myself because it, it's such a large piece of land, roughly the size of the North side neighborhood that um, providing affordable housing in the mix. And I think it was important the, some of the language in their, in their uh, letter to us, uh, the question of integration uh, and long the long-term aspects that that would would follow from such land acquisition um, are, are to me two of the critical aspects of our affordable housing policy, trying to extend the life of it and also to integrate it within the community. Both of those don't require a change, I think, at this point for Carson Farm. And Susan, I'm not suggesting we defer on every annexation that comes to us. Um, until we have a re revised policy. Um, you know, I agree with you, whatever the policy is uh, at the time of the annexation, uh, that, that should be what we go with. I think part of my concern was this is such a large piece of land and, and the, you know, this question of the annexation policy as it relates to affordable housing so important that like the mayor said, I, I, I was just pausing, wanting to get better, a better understanding, particularly from the Affordable Housing Coalition, how, how we might approach this. Uh, and I'm satisfied now, um, you know, with, with their, their letter, uh, how they've framed it. Um, it seems like a very reasonable approach at this point. So that's, that's basically where I'm at. And I'm not suggesting that we put all annexation proposals on hold until we have, you know, some revised policy that came out of the affordable action plan, housing plan. So when I reviewed the annexation policy, I was really struck by the process that that council and staff went through in arriving at it, and and the um, and 
the focal points were to allow for flexibility in addressing the issues presented by any any particular annexation because this is not it's it's different from dealing with land that is already a part of the city. Um, every annexation is going to be different. They 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 wanted to make it consistent with the pro programs that existed at the time. Um, emphasize types of affordable housing contributions that would not require city to monitor income and with a preference for long-term for long-term affordability and cr to create those parameters so that staff and council and whomever was dealing with it once the annexation took place would have a chance to to help create whatever the the best model possible and as we're looking at both the the new committee that's being formed or whatever we want to call it to look at a, at a new uh, a new policy and this um, it seems to me that the focus if we're going forward the focus really should be on what is the Iowa City affordable housing plan going to be um, and then later later on potentially look at once we have that in place look at do we want to then change is are there things changes that were made to that that we would want to apply to annexation so i mean i was um in favor of and i remain in favor of using the existing annexation policy um but but it strikes me that that the from a process point of view that working on the city what we're going to do as a city going forward with the land that we have in the city is what makes sense and that you, that leaving our annexation policy as it exists until we have that policy in place also makes sense to me. Well, my decision on, on that Carson Farms, I know we're not looking particularly at that, but it, it wasn't based on uh, let's review the annexation policy because it, it was based on what's actually in there because one of the items is that uh, this annexation, this area of land won't place an undue burden on the city and city services. And I just see that it, it's so far out on the outskirts of town that, that, that it is going to place a burden. And as far as the affordable uh, affordability of the units, I, I just don't think that's the most ideal location in our city to have affordable units. Because currently we don't have the transit out there and that's what a lot of folks who uh, live in the affordable units need is uh, city transit. So th that's what mine was based on. I, I based it on actually what the annexation policy reads. I really think that affordable housing, um, uh, you know, needs and the crisis, it is really the affordable housing need in this community is overdue. And we, we uh, I understand that we have new annexations policy that has been done. And thank you for everybody who really, uh, you know, was part of that from the previous council or the current council. Thank you. It is, for me, it's really a step to move forward. It's not like really great. I don't want to say it's not a great deal, but it is, it's good base to start with, but we can even build on it to make it even better. Uh, we talked about this during, we have 17 items that we created for Black after Black Lives Matter movement. One of them is affordable housing. And I think this is really a need. And uh, even though we have something on bliss, but after this movement, 
all of us agree that, uh, you know, we need this affordable housing. So we need to change the current policy that we have to make it even better. So it can fulfill the need of the community and especially black people and people of color who are really, really need of affordable housing. You know, I, I just believe that uh, you know, yes, this is this item for the farm is not on the table right now. They already withdraw their application. But if they, the, I, I will agree with the recommendation of the Affordable Housing Coalition if those people would have come back sooner. Uh, if, like, just starting doing this and they come back sooner, we can go with that. But it's still, we, uh, as Jeff said, we already have the, created the, the committee for the affordable housing. I will agree with the mayor on bringing, like, let those people also review this. But just in case, if it takes like, like a time and uh, the, uh, the, this plan come again to the table and they, they want to put their application back, we still can use our recommendation by the Affordable Housing Coalition. I think it's really great recommendation. I agree with it. And, but, you know, we have to keep in mind that this is something that we need to change it. Affordable housing is like a critical need for a lot of people in this community who are suffering. Myself, as one of the people who really was looking for houses for a long time, and I know how it feels. I know a lot of people who couldn't afford the house, and they, a lot of people live in uh, two bedroom, and when they needed three bedroom and four bedroom. Speaking about making more affordable housing in that side, we need that. Even though we don't have transportation, as Pauline said, you know, this is not an excuse not to have affordable housing in the area and make the city segregation, you know, segregated by uh, economically, by, you know, we can, we are the city, we are the one who do transportation. Why we don't add a line for those people, if that the reason, I think we are the city, whenever we do affordable housing, uh, for the people, and we know those low-income people, we have to provide a means of transportation for them. They are a taxpayer, and they should we we should serve them. I I really right now, even though this is not on the table, but I I will go as the recommendation for the affordable housing coalition from the affordable housing coalition. Otherwise, we should wait for the uh, affordable housing committee uh, to come up with a solid plan for affordable housing in general. Thank you. Can I ask staff a question just to clarify for council and for any public who might be uh, listening a little bit on the process um, and the, kind of the order of things. So we do the annexation um, and we have an annexation policy and the developer has to agree to abide by that annexation policy. At what point um, do they have to present and, and negotiate with council or, how does their, or with staff, et cetera, on exactly how they plan to comply with that? In other words, fee in lieu of, number of units, um, you know, land, et cetera. Can you help clarify that for us, please? Essentially, what they have to do is there has to be an affordable housing agreement in place before they can get their building permit. Okay. So if they do the annexation, um, and, and I'm just talking in general. So if we have a voluntary annexation and we, we annex it under this current policy, which right now it sounds like the majority of council is fine with, at least for right now, then we have 
we do we have another zone we have to have another zoning then because they're going to come in as interim particularly in this area we had to redo the comp plan and all of that and we could please tell me if i'm wrong as part of that rezoning have conditions on that rezoning that would help lead us towards the kind of an affordable plan that we wanted for that area is that a reasonable assumption no, you would want those conditions to be done at the time of annexation because okay. your authority with respect to annexation is 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 broader than it is with zoning. I think the current annexation plan gave you all the authority you needed to impose those conditions at the time of annexation. I think it was not clear from the conversation by council as to what the issue was. Was it with the 10% and the 20 years, or was it with the type of mechanism that you wanted to see be used? If it was the type of mechanism, we had that flexibility in the annexation policy, and we could have had the council wanted to add a detail to that or directed council or directed staff to have those requirements included at the time of the affordable housing agreement being executed. Okay, maybe I maybe I wasn't clear with my question, uh, and, I, and I sorry to take the time, but I, I think this process and the steps and timing are really important because I think that's impacting how council members are looking maybe at this differently from one another in terms of what kinds of things they want clarified at what point, and I think it's I think it's important that we're all on the same page understanding how far down that process staff and council has input on how certain things are done. So when I read the language of the annexation policy, there are lots of options in there and lots of flexibility in there about how the developer can fulfill the affordable housing obligation, correct? Correct. Okay. So we could potentially not have a signed agreement with the developer on how they're going to fulfill that obligation up until the point they start pulling building permits. Is that correct? Correct. But could we use the rezoning process to conditions with the rezoning process to move us toward what we wanted in terms of that affordable housing? No, I think you would do that at the annexation stage. Look at it, you know, here's a good example. With the, we do, when we do a rezoning to riverfront crossings, we include a condition that, um, essentially says they have to execute an affordable housing agreement showing how they're going to comply with the riverfront crossings inclusionary zoning ordinance before they get their building permit. Now that ordinance, as you know, has very specific requirements. There's only certain things that the city can insist on. Um, there's a lot of option available to the, um, to the developer. Um, because we're at the annexation stage, we have more authority 
at the time we execute that affordable housing agreement to say we're not interested in doing you know this we want to we want to talk to you about doing this particular mechanism what serves how, how can we reach agreement what serves you what serves the city best etc and that would be done at that stage but you're 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 we would have a lot more authority because it was done at the annexation. It was a condition of annexation and it's a different condition than it is in a rezoning under the riverfront crossings inclusionary housing ordinance. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the full thing doesn't have to be executed until they get ready to pull a building permit. Right. Okay. Right. So it sounds to me, if I'm understanding this right, that where this process fell apart is that at least at the council level, we didn't really have any discussion of conditions we wanted to put in place at the time of annexation regarding how they fulfilled the affordable housing requirement. Is well, well, but I think that you didn't you don't nece didn't necessarily have to do that because the policy itself, which is then incorporated into the annexation agreement, provides that flexibility right. for a later determination at the point when the developer has much better idea of what the plans are, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, for, for making that decision. I mean. Yeah, if I, if maybe I can help. Um, part of the benefit of, of letting the process play out a little bit more in this case is, is that there, there's a ton of other variables that, that just need to need to catch up. So if, if we're to put this condition on the annexation up front, you're basically saying 10% of the units have to be publicly owned or in the hands of a, of a nonprofit. And then you can think of, well, the city's going to come back and say, well, we'd like, we'd like parkland too. And we could use a uh, uh, land for a fire station. Oh, and guess what? The school district would like a, a, a spot out there. And then we get through the, the planning process and we say, well, this is really the most logical place for a regional stormwater detention. And all of a sudden, there's not a whole lot of land left over for development. And, and it, just, it just doesn't start to, to, to click um, as one. So that's why we like to let that planning process play out a little bit more, let, let, allow some of those discussions to evolve. Because it may be that one or more of those variables have to be kind of sacrificed or we have to explore some, some other options. So the more requirements you put up front just limits your flexibility with all those other variables down, down the road. And that's why we as staff were hesitant to say, this is how it must be done at this really early stage in the process. Thank you. The discussion has been very helpful. It doesn't sound like council has any recommendations um, at this time uh, or directives towards staff for affordable housing. Um, I, I do think the conversation has been helpful. And of course, I'm sure we could all give more comments. Personally, I won't. Um, are there any more comments on this item? I just want to ask Jeff, is there is anything that you think is gonna come soon for annexation or did you hear about Anything else that would have come soon? Uh, no, I'm not aware of any pending application processes, but you know, just thinking about our infrastructure improvements over the last couple of years, whether it's McAllister ex uh, extension or the uh, sewer uh, project that, that's recently been in front of council, we, th those improvements will make that land much more 
um, ready for annexation and development. So we kind of anticipate that they'll come, but whether that's six weeks, six months, or six years, we really don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Anything else on this item? All right, the next item is review city tax rates. And this is IP5 from Info Packet for, um, January 14th as well. And I know, um, do we have Dennis with us? Hello. Hello. I know that you gave us um, information in the info packet. I did, um, and in that memo, you know, the council's discussion was whether to or not to uh, keep the property tax rate uh, at its current level versus uh, the the recommended uh, lowering of ten cents. Um, and so this memo is just kind of a, a little bit of analysis as far as the different components uh, of the property tax rate um, and the levies that are set um, and they're for specific purposes. Um, and I can share my screen here and kind of go through that memo if you'd, if you'd like. Sure. Okay. And so uh, take a look at it. Uh, the FY21 rate, property tax rate for the city. Dennis, uh, your, your memo cut off there on your screen sharing. Oh. Okay. Oh, can you can you see the memo? No. No. Okay. All right. Um, let's let's try we that. We could at first. It was and it disappeared. How about now? Looks good. Yes. Interesting. I just moved it on my on my monitor. Was all I did. <laughs> so. Um, so to take a look at it, the FY21 property tax rate is, is currently what is being levied. And, and this is the city's portion of the property tax rate, uh, not to be confused with you know, the county or the school district or other, other portions of the property tax rate. And uh, this, the city's ability to levy taxes comes off chapter 384 of the Iowa Code. And it lays out the different levies that the city can utilize uh, to, to levy property taxes, and then those specific purposes for each of those particular levies. Uh, now, not all the levies in that uh, Iowa code pertain to us, and some of those require a referendum to be utilized. And then some, such as the debt service levy, may have a mix of referendum versus you know the city's authority to, to just levy it. Um, and so I, what I laid out is, is each of the current levies that the city has and then the total and then it's proposed. And right now, the proposal is to reduce the city's debt service levy rate by 10 cents from 257 to 247, which would lower the overall rate from 1577 to 1567. And, and the reason we're proposing that is because, you know, when we lay out our CIP and our debt planning um, and we issue those bonds, we look at our debt requirements on an annual basis to see what we need to levy for property taxes to make that payment. And for fiscal year 22, we have the ability to lower that property tax rate uh, by 10 cents and still achieve the overall 
uh, planning for the capital improvement program, as well as meeting our fiscal year 22 bond and principal interest payments. And so why that, that's why that reduction is currently being proposed. Um, and to break that down a little bit further, um, I put in there a little bit further in the memo, talk about where the levy is currently set at for each particular levy, and also what limits are in the Iowa code as far as what, what we are allowed to levy at. So for instance, the city's regular general levy has a limit in the code of $8.10, and our levy rate is 100% of that as what is available. Uh, the transit levy, which is used for operation and maintenance of a public transit system, has a state limit of 95 cents, and we are levying the full 95 cents. Um, the self-insurance and insurance programs, we are levying 29 cents, and that's based on eligible expenditures, and so we're levying for 100% of our eligible expenditures. Uh, the emergency levy uh, has an eligible rate of 27 cents, and we are only levying 24 cents of that. Uh, and the reason that is, is, is the uh, council was targeting a, about a million dollars for carbon emission reduction. And that 24 cents amount uh, amounts to approximately a $1 million of revenue. Uh, aside from that, a directed purpose from the council is really eligible for any general fund purpose for that emergency levy. Uh, the employee benefits levy actually is a combination of several levies. Uh, for police and fire pension, uh, other benefits, and then FICA, IPERS. Um, and that is for the retirement insurance benefits for employees. And right now, we're levying at $3.34.4. Uh, we could levy up to $3.61, and that's based on eligible, eligible expenditures in our budget. Um, one other levy that, as I was reviewing them, that has potential that the city might be able to utilize is the civic center levy. You know, the, the complex in the city hall, police, fire, um, the parking uh, is uh, long been known as the civic center. There is a 13 and a half cent levy uh, for civic center operation and maintenance. And the city does not uh, levy this. And, and I could not see that we ever have, or if, if we have, it's been a while since we have. Um, so if, if the city council wanted to maintain the current levy rate at 1577 uh, instead of lowering it, essentially the rates, the places that they would be able to do it would be the emergency levy would have three cents. Uh, the employee benefits could have up to you know, almost 27 cents and the civic center could potentially have about 13 and a half cents. And so depending on um, you know, how you want to use that 10 cents, uh, you know, since it's not going to debt service, if you want to use it for paying for the civic center operations or for offsetting employee benefits or you know, part of the emergency levy, that is where we would be able to shift that 10 cent levy to and then raise it back up to the 1577. And hopefully that made sense. <laughs> so, um, and then I detail a little bit further about how many, how many dollars that would generate for each of those particular levies if, if you uh, exercise that option to do so. So that kind of lays out really what, what your options are. And, and it kind of depends on how you would want to utilize those dollars or expend those dollars 
and where we would apply the additional 10 cent levy to. And so I that's the, oh. I have a question here before you go further. For the operation of the maintaining the, the civic center, uh, like currently, how you maintain that if there is none here, or we have because you said the the limited thirteen, but we don't we don't have any, right? Yeah, um, the city is not currently utilizing that levy. And how we maintain it? Like, how do we maintain the so, so operation of the civic center yeah, using right. the general fund or how? Yes, that, that is correct. So those expenditures are just being incurred, are being paid for out of the general fund, which would be coming out of this the regular levy, that $8.10. And then okay. other eligible revenues in the general fund uh, that could be used for general purposes. Okay, sound good. Thank you. So I guess the question for the budget would be is um, whether or not you want to uh, stay with the recommended 10 cent reduction um, or raise that levy up back up to 1577 or somewhere between and do that through utilizing one of these levies that we have capacity to, to use. Um, and like I said, it really kind of depends on, on what you want to do with those additional dollars that are being levied. If I could just uh, add on to that, um, I really encourage the council to to focus on on just that. Where do you want to spend additional dollars, and then we can help you find that path forward. Um, I've uh, mentioned to you that the the fiscal year twenty two budget, as proposed, does have a hundred and twenty thousand dollars surplus. Um, so, you know, if if you're looking to add. Uh, roughly that amount uh, to a particular expenditure line, um, that would be the logical place to start uh, where you could take those funds, uh, uh, bolster our spending in a particular area of interest that you have and not really manipulate the, the, the tax rates um, as, as, uh, as Dennis just described. Um, if you're looking to, to add expenditures greater than that surplus amount, then um, Again, I'd urge you just to kind of let us know where where you think that uh, uh, expenditure would be, or where you'd like to add that funding, and 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 really that's when Dennis can come back and say, "Here's the best way that I would recommend that you fund it," and and we can give you that um, uh, give you that ex uh, recommendation. Thank you, Dennis, and thank you, Jeff, and Council. It's our opportunity to just have a discussion. Well, Mayor, I'll I'll jump in. Um, I, you know, we've gone through our however many hours of budget um, work session so far, and looked at all the different uh, revenue sources and proposed expenditures, and I came out of that process without having any particular thing that that I'm requesting we increase expenditures beyond what's in the proposed budget. So I personally, you know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's good with the property tax cliff that we know is coming to build in as much capacity as we can in, in the actual 
uh, levy system. And I think if we relieve some of that pressure now, it gives us more for the future. Um, I guess, Dennis, if you think that's incorrect, <laughs> or if there's a different way you would frame that, can you can you say so? Because I understand, you know, the proposals with the debt service levy. So that's where we're, that's where we are building in the capacity. Is, is that right? Yeah, I think what you want to leave open is the flexibility to use that property tax rate where you want to in the future. So as you determine how to use that spending in the future, you could adjust that property tax rate at that time versus making that determination now. Okay, thank you. So that, that's where I'm at, Mayor. I really think, uh, you know, uh, we need really to stay, uh, we don't need to increase the tax, we don't need to reduce it and leave it as it is. And that's why, like uh, for the past three years that I was in the council, each time we come up with something, we don't have money. And that was a that was a problem because we tried to take from this you know budget and this budget and they say no you cannot use this for this and you cannot use that for that. I really uh, you know think that there is many many things that happening right now during this COVID nineteen uh, and the crisis that we have. We just was not even giving people bread for the water and uh, because they cannot even do it and because we don't have money so. Uh, each time we say something that we say we don't have money, I think we uh, ten cent is not going to really benefit uh, uh, somebody like homeowner like me that much. But it will benefit a lot of people who are low income in this city to be benefited out of this. I think uh, for the civic uh, center, uh, the, the civic. Uh, center operations that we don't have anything we can add 10 cent there or even add five cent here and add five cent to the emergency or four cent to the three cent to the emergency i we we can blade around and freeze some uh like proper uh what's it called the general fund that we can use it anything even if we don't have anything right now even though i know we are on planning to do like affordable housing plan and uh we don't have we have one million i understand that jeff said uh we can add the surplus there we, there is many options that we can do but at the end of the day it will be one hundred thousand, and i don't think that enough affordable housing need a lot more that something is still, I'm going to say, it's still overdue. We need to really see, uh, think seriously. And, and since we're going to have this committee for the for double housing, and they will come us with plan, and we need really to to be ready for that. We can. There is many many options we can do it we don't have even to assign it to a specific program right now we can put it on the reserve and whenever we need it we can use it from the reserve but i think this is a like good amount of money that we can save if we add this 10 cent to the uh, civic and we can free some like general fund money uh, to the civic center operation and we can free some general fund money that we can use it in anything else uh, in the future uh, yes, uh, if the people will be very happy that to know we are not increasing the tax, we are leaving it at the same. So I think that people will feel better than uh, increasing it like another if we compare us with the other cities. I know that we always been reducing it, and that's something good too, but we need money. Our priority is not reducing the tax levy. Our priority is to do a service for the city and to help the people who are in need in the city that they are taxpayer. I 
tend to agree with Councillor Burgess, and I make a couple of things. I think the the you know the cliff that we have talked about for 2024 is incredibly significant when the taxation on the multi-unit housing um, drops from whatever it's at at that point down to um, to the same as regular houses, single-family homes. I mean that could be you know going from 65% or whatever down to 55 or 50, depending upon what the state's rollback is, is at that point in time. And that could be a significant drop um, in our tax revenues. Um, I think building in or trying to continue to have that uh, flexibility in our levy is really, really important. Um, I would respectfully you know, disagree with the mayor pro tem that we haven't been able to find money. We have, over the last few years, we have gone from uh, a very limited amount of money for affordable housing up to a million dollar line item budget now annually for affordable housing. We've taken aid to agencies from uh, two to 300,000, I think up over to 700,000 now as a line item. And, there's, and those are just a couple of really quick examples that are very significant dollar changes and address help to address some of the most significant needs in our community. Um, as I've said before, we talk about sustainability, we've put in a climate action plan, we have to make sure that our budget is sustainable. If we don't have a sustainable financial plan, then nothing else in the city is gonna matter because you're not gonna be able to afford to do it. Um, and that is also really, really important when it comes to the AAA bond rating for Moody's and the money that that saves us when we do go out and borrow money. So I agree with Councillor Burgess. I think the proposal that staff has given us is a good, fair proposal and keeps that flexibility when we hit that cliff in a couple of years. I agree. Uh, Councillor Burgess had said that looking at the budget, there wasn't anything that really stood out that that she felt a big need for that needed to be there. Although the one thing that, that, that I've always been concerned about is our transit budget. And, you know, uh, but there's a lot in this current budget uh, money going towards that. So, so that's good. Uh, that was one thing that I'd always been concerned about. Uh, and uh, Councillor Mims, uh, you always, uh, you've had me gain an appreciation for the AAA, Moody's AAA rating. And I think that says a lot for our finance department. And there was also something in our in our IP packet uh, about a certificate of achievement for excellence in uh, financial reporting that they achieved in June of 19. And that says a lot about our finance department. I mean, they didn't just randomly say, oh, let's do the 10 cents. Uh, I, I, I admire uh, Dennis and his department. I think uh, they gave a lot of thought to this and and I'm, I'm fine with with going with their recommendation. Well, I guess my, my thoughts at the, at the moment were in part driven, I think, by the, the sense that we are still dealing with the uncertainties and volatility of the, you know, the COVID crisis and the associated economic crisis. Um, so having a little bit more access to funding to deal with those issues, whether it may be shelter, um, you know, Food, whatever, whatever essentials may be driven by the, you know, the, the events that we, we were uncertain about. Uh, it seemed to me to be important to to have that funding um, readily accessible. Uh, I will also mention another project. I don't know that it affects how we budget for this particular year, but uh, 
you know, last week I noticed that a project had been deleted from our capital improvement program. Uh, the reversion of Jefferson and Market from one-way to two-way uh, was no longer in the plan. And uh, so I, I, would, I would like that personally back in the plan. Uh, and if, you know, if that had any uh, budgetary consequence at this moment, I just wanted to bring that up as well. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm inclined to have given, given the uncertainties and complexities and volatilities of what we're dealing with a little bit more budget flexibility uh, at, this, at this point to try to address whatever un, you know, unforeseen circumstances we may find ourselves in. Uh, you know, in terms of the, where it might be drawn from, it seems uh, the Civic Center and emergency funds, those levies seem like um, possibilities. You know, I think the employment benefits, I'm a little bit reluctant there because that too is kind of a, a levy where there may be some volatility. So I, I would like to maintain some cushion there. Um, but it does seem within what Jeff said, we already have in place uh, and the emergency levy and the civic center levy, I think we should be able to uh, bridge that gap that would bring us back where, you know, the, bring the 10 cents back roughly. If I might offer um, just a couple of clarifications based on um, some comments. Um, one, it's really important. Um, it's hard. It's hard to remember this, but because just because we're lowering the rate does not mean we're lowering property taxes. Matter of fact, you know, we should be clear that we're not lowering property taxes. Um, you have so many other variables that go into um, um, a property tax bill including the rollback rate, which is increasing. So that's gonna be more of your home is now taxable than it was last year, um, uh, as well as the assessed value on your home. And so um, when we say we've, we've dropped the property tax rate for 10 years, that's, that's accurate, but that does not mean that our property owners, be it residential, commercial, industrial, are paying less taxes to the city. Um, overall, our levy, which is the actual dollar amount that we collect, has gone up over those years. So rates go down, but the levy goes up. We just need to be clear, make sure that we're clear when we're talking about that, that with this 10, 10 cent proposal, we're not lowering tax, um, we're not lowering someone's taxes. We are reducing that rate at, at which they pay taxes. It's a bit confusing, but but that's, uh, that's important. Um, and then re regards to, um, you know, again, I kind of really try to focus on what you want to spend that money for. If you're looking to respond to one-time uh, types of issues, like, like COVID relief um, is a good one. If you want to spend more in COVID relief, um, I, I really, my recommendation, um, and Dennis can, can um, offer a counter one if he, if, if he wishes, would be, you know, use your reserves, use your uh, emergency levy to be able to do that um, because you're not, it, we don't anticipate it to be a recurring expense um, every, every year. And again, you want your rates to be fairly stable from year to year. So you don't wanna see that, you don't wanna see those rates go up and down based on one-time expenditures in one year and not the next year. Um, you have an emergency reserve, you have general fund reserves, and if you felt like there was some gaps in COVID relief that aren't covered by existing programs, 
then then I would suggest you 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 use those for those one-time expenditures. If you're looking at more of a permanent line item, something that you you don't expect to go away, you want to hire staff or you want to expand a service or um, a contribution to aid agencies, whatever it may be, that's when we'll probably start to look at that levy option a little bit more because you you want that to be sustainable from year to year, and of course it's not sustainable to to tap those reserves year after year. I did want to uh, just chime in a little bit. So I, I heard, um, thanks, Jeff, you just mentioned, um, we can tap into the reserves or the emergency fund levy. Um, should there be something that we want to do for some projects? And I'm happy that our emergency fund levy does give us quite a bit of flexibility in what we can utilize those funds for as any governmental purpose. I, I do see some value, of course, to um, having some, it, it would be more income that we'll have for the city. But I also uh, hear that if we needed something, wanted to fund a program specifically, uh, we could try to figure that out, what that program is, and try to figure out where the money's come from. Right now, I'm not hearing anything specific, of course, affordable housing. The climate action are very important things that I know that we want to continue to have reserves for or uh, funds readily available uh, when, they, when, when the need should arise for uh, something. And so right now, I don't I have anything that I'm hearing that we can utilize the funds for. I, I've been through budget now three times, and I know at the end of the budget, uh, somebody might make a recommendation uh, of something that they want, you know, the you know to be a part of the budget. Um, I think if that should happen in this, pro you know, during this time, we'll be able to find some funds um, within 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 something, and so. Right now, I'm comfortable with the staff recommendation with the with the levy stand as it is. Um, again, if there is something specific that we want to fund, uh, especially if it's something ongoing, we have opportunity. Um, if it's not within this time, um, in August, August comes around so quickly, we'll be able to you know make that a priority for the staff to put it in the budget for next time. So I don't feel like we're missing out if we don't do anything right now, personally. All right, so it doesn't sound like um, we're going, I think I heard the majority of council. Can, can oh, I just say the last comment, please? Uh, I, I know it's not uh, going, I, it, way it's going, but I really wanna just mention that interestingly, uh, soon we're gonna talk about sale tax option, which is uh, like really interesting that we are lowering, uh, you know, the tax here. And we we are thinking of adding a sale tax option. I just want to lay that out there. Thanks. Okay. All right. So it doesn't sound like we're going to make any changes to the staff recommended uh, tax levy. Uh, we are going to move to the next item, unless anybody has any final comments. We're going to discuss public input opportunities for the preliminary police plan, I can say it, preliminary police plan. 
Uh, thanks, Mayor. I'll take the lead on this one and um, <clears throat> be interested to hear your feedback. So we've we uh, uh, talked a little bit, uh, and uh, as a reminder, uh, Councillor Burgess and uh, Mayor Pro Tem Salee, Councillor Weiner were asked to, to collaborate with me and just briefly discuss this. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have a chance uh, to align schedules with Councillor Weiner. So just Councillor Burgess and, and uh, Mayor Pro Tem Salee and I met um, and, you know, we talked through the various ways. Obviously, you know, we're going to do the traditional ways, which, which are currently available. Um, but I think we all acknowledge that, that those are insufficient for, for something like this. And we really tried to focus our discussion on how do we get this plan in front of um, uh, people who otherwise normally wouldn't participate, um, who, who have barriers to participation in some way, shape or form, be it language, um, be it work schedules, uh, be it just a myriad of other things that are that are um, um, uh, in in someone's life, and so um, we even you know talked through the listening post concept and and didn't feel like those would 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 reach uh, far enough. Um, so uh, one idea that we floated was to um, really look to connect with people um, that um, uh, are, are well connected themselves within uh, some targeted communities, particularly BIPOC communities, and, and um, uh, contract with them uh, to solicit public input on the plan. So for example, um, we would look to find somebody in, in the uh, immigrant and refugee community uh, that we know that that has the trust of that community, that has uh, some some good uh, translation language skills, and actually contract with them uh, to to do the to do the preliminary plan outreach for us. Um, and that's a non-traditional approach, but if you think about it, a lot of times when we do master plans, we hire consultants and they coordinate our they coordinate our public input as part of the drafting of that of that master plan like the bike plan or the parks plan. So this would be um, actually paying somebody as an independent contractor that, that has particular expertise uh, in their connectedness with these communities to, to take this plan, really learn it themselves, ask whatever questions they need to, to, to really understand that plan, and then letting them go out and, and bring the feedback back to us. So it's not staff going and asking for that feedback. It's not the council doing the listening posts. It's us contracting and compensating somebody to get that feedback and bring it back to us and present it ultimately to you um, unfiltered through through my lens or through a, a council member's uh, um, lens. I don't have a proposal for you on who that is or what it looks like. I would continue to work with uh, the three counselors to, to best determine uh, who that would be. Um, or what, or it, could, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an individual. It could be an organization too. Um, we, we would uh, kind of have to think about who who that would be. Uh, we'd, we'd probably spend a few thousand dollars to to do that, um, and uh, um, ultimately bring you back again again that feedback. Uh, so before we went too far down that path, uh, because it is a little bit non traditional, we wanted to we wanted to get uh, the full council's feedback on that. I think it's a really interesting concept. I think the idea of, you know, we've talked about the importance of trying to meet people where they are um, as much as possible in environments where they are comfortable. Um, and as you say, uh, using people who have the language skills to interact with various populations. Um, so I, I think it's a really kind of unique idea and it certainly doesn't close off any 
you know, any other avenues that we have for people to give input, but is simply an addition. So I, I think it sounds interesting. Yeah, I, I would agree that it taking taking it to where people are is important. And so I would be uh, supportive of this you know, opportunity. I think it will be key to make sure that whoever is that individual that is going out is um, not biased in their um, approach, but being very neutral. Um, I like the idea. And I would say that I would think that the meetings should also, whatever meetings they have um, ought to be with, with communities ought to be open so that uh, if a couple of council members or others want to sit in and listen, um, that everyone would have that opportunity as well, but it would again be going, uh, going to the people. Sounds good to me too. So it sounds like, okay, all right. So it sounds like everybody's on board. So great. Jeff, do you need, uh, or Councillor Burgess, Weiner, or uh, Mayor Pro Tem, do you all need anything else from us? All right. I think just, just a, a chance to time frame expectations here, because it's going to take us probably a few weeks to identify somebody, and then we have to uh, you know, formally contract with them. We'll have to draft up a, 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 an agreement of sorts like we would a, a consultant or anybody else. And then uh, it's obviously not a not a, a, a small document to digest. So the, the person's going to have to, or the organization's going to have to really invest some time, which they'd be compensated for in learning the plan. Um, I, I'm thinking you just might not hear back for a couple of months on that. So it could be early spring by the time that feedback returns to you. I think it's well worth that time, but I just want to make sure that you know this isn't going to be a quick turnaround. Um, the counselors will Dorothy, still be meeting. Oh, go right ahead. No, no, go ahead, Mayor. No, I, I was just making sure that the counselors would still be meeting with Jeff during, during this process and discussing, you know, who you might be looking for, time frame even. So I'm comfortable if you all are just having that conversation personally. Sure. I, I just want to uh, just say something that well, last time we talked about maybe uh, translating some of the documents and uh, not the whole thing. Uh, I, I really, when I, I'm changing my mind on that after I look at it, uh, I think it's very good to translate the whole documents and at least we will have copy from it because it is a reference. Whenever you talk like, uh, look at the recommendation outside and you go back and exactly uh, read what it means, uh, I just believe that we need to translate the whole documents. It costs us money, but we do have money and we can figure out money all the time. So there is no problem on this and it deserves uh, uh, to put some money for the people to understand this issue. I can offer, uh, we did get uh, an initial set of quotes for translation and um, 
we got two scenarios. One was just the two-page recommendation uh, for for translation into three languages, and it's it's fairly inexpensive. It's about a thousand dollars. And then we said, what about just the chapter that has the recommendations? So not not the chapter about the staffing of the department um, uh, and some of the introductory, uh, like the CPRB and all that kind of stuff, but just the chapter that has the narrative on the 36 recommendations. And that'll that'll come in um, uh, uh, at least, or uh, the initial quote was $9,000. Yeah. About yeah, about forty pages worth. That that's about nine thousand dollars. So about three thousand per language. I would encourage that we do that forty pages or whatever because I think it does help put things in perspective for people. Um, it'd be nice to be able to do the whole thing, but I I don't I don't think it's necessarily worth the cost of doing the whole thing because I I don't think many people are going to read the whole thing I think I think if they can see the recommendations and see the context of those recommendations it, it would seem to me that that's the most important thing and yeah for nine thousand dollars I would say definitely I agree and I think uh, that's, I that's just goes along with our, our strategic plan of the social justice and equity I, I think that's very important and I think it's well worth that money just to qualify something here, when I said the whole thing, I don't mean the whole document. I meant the 40 pages for the recommendations, to be clear here, because that's the most important thing uh, uh, we need the people to know about. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely valuable to hire qualified translators. Just to give that credit to Jeff, He's the one who said that. I really like love it, and uh, you know, I would have not come with a better idea than this. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, I would be supportive of of the forty pages. Sound like the majority of council is shaking their head supportive of it. So we'll go with that. All right. Anything else? And I'm happy to know that you all continue to meet, and I think we'll just kind of have updates along the way. All right. We're going to discuss a miscellaneous council meeting and communication items. Uh, the first thing is moving meeting times um, one hour earlier, and just wanted to get people kind of fast, quick, final thoughts on that. <laughs> Very quick, I agree. <laughs> All right. I'm fine either way. Okay. I am as well, and I haven't heard any. Well. I haven't gotten any feedback. I don't know if others have on it. Same here, I agree. All right. What about public comment sign-in procedures? And I can remind counselors what that was. So this was um, having something in the foyer when we were back in uh, person that people would sign up uh, for an agenda item. And then that will be handed to the mayor um, to read their names and to present them. Um, so they'll be signing up early. I personally don't like that. I. 
I think it's too restrictive to the public. And I think we, over the years, we've had lots of people who've come to the podium said, oh, I, I didn't come planning to talk. I just came to listen, but I heard such and such and really want to comment on it. And I think that's restrictive. I don't, I don't feel like we lose that much time um, when people come up. I think in the last couple of years, we've really seen the vast majority of people have gotten a slip and signed ahead of time so they could just put their little sticker down. So I'm really comfortable continuing the way it is. I, the one addition I do like, and we talked about it before, is, is knowing whether people are Iowa City residents or not. And I would have one question. When are we talking about changing the time of the meetings? I just want you to just to tell us exactly what you mean by, uh, you know, signing. And do you know like public comment or do you mean like during the public hearing? I, I think, well, I, my thought, I, I think when, when the school district does it, I think they sign up for each item or do they only have public comment? I think any item that they open up, but if it's just public comment, we can certainly, you know, do whatever we want. It, I just think that it could be beneficial for people to sign up ahead of time. And also we can have, it is on the slip that people need to give their address or their, the city where they live. I think it's the full address. And so we'll be able to capture that um, ahead of time. The first name, the last name, which we ask from people as well as their address. And I know our city clerk is on here. For public comment. For, and it could be for public comment or even for any, any agenda item. It could get confusing for any agenda item. I can see that because we have every agenda item. I think I asked that question last time, Mayor, and my recollection is that we were just talking about. I really agree that for the public comment, it will be an easy thing. I saw it at the school. I think there's a delay with uh, Mayor Pro Tem. <laughs> Sorry about that. Mayor Pro Tem, I think there's a lag in communication, um, potentially. Yes, I think the tell me that the internet connection is weak. Yep, yep. That's why I feel like I'm jumping. <laughs> I don't yep. know. Yep. So, Sorry. Um, why don't we have uh, uh, Attorney uh, Dilks go ahead and give your comments? Oh, I, I just I remember asking that question last time about whether it was going to be all items or um, just. Um, public comment and items not on the agenda. And I thought it was the latter just for public comment of items not on the agenda. There's some issues I think with doing it for everything. Yes, and, and I think now that I'm remembering is only for public comment. We, we went through that the last time. So it was only for public comment and not for every agenda item. Yes, do you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, I I was really thinking that for public comment, it, it could be, I, so it is very effectively during the school board where uh, people will come and hand out uh, some like small paper ahead of time, writing their name. Uh, I just like it. And also uh, the thing is, while the public comment is going on, is still 
uh, people can, like, say, for example, somebody talk about something and someone else was sitting there and never want to talk, they can still write something and go and give it to the, you know, again, they can submit it while the people are doing the public comment. Uh, I, I like it for the public comment. Yeah, I think maybe um, what Mayor Pro Tem is suggesting is sort of a hybrid of what we have now. Mayor, you identified the benefit of having, you know, the kind of the queue that you could see, I think, on Zoom, which is helpful. So if people could sign up at the beginning or, at, you know, right before the meeting and you would have that list, but also give people the opportunity to come up, you know, on at the moment. I mean, if, if that's workable, that seems like that might get us where we're trying to go. Mm -hmm. Because then you have it. You have an initial list of people, initial queue of people who want to speak at public comment, and then you may have a few more, um, as Council Burgess just said, add on at the at the end. But it could make the most of it move fairly quickly. I think you know that sounds fine. I, I, I've never really felt this was a major snag in our process, but. Um, you know, what you were just describing, Laura, I think would be fine. Um, but yeah, it's not something that really jumped out at me as a, an issue that we needed to revise in any meaningful, you know, ma major way. I, I agree. I think it, the current process has worked well for us. And I think uh, uh, previous mayor, if there was a room full of people, he would ask ahead of time uh, for folks to raise their hand if they were planning to speak. That way he knew that, you know, there were two or there were 20 and that would make a difference on how, how long they were able to speak. I know it works very well for the school district. And, and as uh, Mayor Pratem said, they do have that option of adding their name throughout the meeting. If all of a sudden they decide, oh, I want to say something. I, I, my, I've worked this through my head and I've got something to say. They can still add their name. They could pass pass their name up to um, say Kelly and she could get it to the mayor if, if there was time, if it was within our time frame um, of the public comment time. One other thing I would offer, and I'm not sure Eleanor's response to this. In the past, we have never offered public comment on the consent agenda. That's been something relatively recent. Usually when an agenda is put together, a consent agenda is, you know, stuff that should be very non-controversial. Uh, it's, you know, accepting minutes, it's accepting correspondence, it's, you know, that sort of thing. I don't believe in all the early years on my council that we ever offered the opportunity for the public to comment. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Eleanor, on the consent and, and we don't have people that often, um, but it's just a thought potentially of just even eliminating that. Your mic isn't on, Eleanor. Um, you, you certainly don't have any legal obligation to allow public comment on anything except for public hearings. But with respect to the consent calendar, I think we have allowed public comment on, on those items. Um, sometimes, even though they're routine, you wanna get them Separate, separated so you only have to have them have one vote, but there might be an item someone wants to comment on. Um, that I'm not recalling that we've ever not allowed comment on. So it does sound, 
my uh, yes. You know, my internet is really terrible today, but uh, I just want to add another thing, another benefit that I can see here is for the mayor and, and, and me when we taking time. For example, if we knew how many people ahead of time, uh, for example, there are 15 people would like to speak, and we know that public comment go only until 8 o'clock, maybe instead of, we, we're saying three to five minutes. And if we think that will make them like uh, go more than that, we can say, okay, since we have a lot of people today, we're gonna give everybody three minutes instead of like three to five minutes. I just see like some benefit to it during, especially during public comment. Thank you. It did seem, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there was a majority that was in, in agreement to the hybrid model of the public comment. Is that fair? Yes, okay, all right. So we will uh, move forward with that. And then council emails and correspondence. I know that Eleanor had given us an update about that. Sure, um, Mayor, just before we get to that one, I think there was also some interest in having a timer. There was interest or in having I a timer. I where that went. Yep, so there's a couple of things. There's an interest in having a timer um, as well as an online option uh, for individuals. So, and then I know Councillor Mims also mentioned, um, uh, let's see, oh, when will we start at least the one hour early? And so, um, why don't we tackle the start one hour early? Maybe people have had an opportunity to think about that. And I don't know from a, I would, I would think that we would do it from a um, public notification point of view. How much time would it take for the public to be notified and adjust? I, I guess I will throw out a proposal. Um, April, the first meeting in April that will give two months opportunity to kind of share it publicly. And then hopefully only a few months and then we'll be back in person. So it, it may get people used to that. So I'm seeing some not enough heads as the first meeting in April. Okay. And then let's uh, talk about the, um, Maybe the online version option might be the easiest right now. Will we want staff to try to bring us back a recommendation or uh, just do a little quick study on how would that look and then give us a report back on what would that look like if we had in person along with the online option? I'm seeing some shaking of heads. So Jeff, if you can report back to the council on that option. And then the last thing is the timer. What are people's thoughts there? Where is something visible, um, I guess will be visible in council chambers, but it could also be visible potentially for those individuals that are online. Yes. I'm, I'm not totally saying shaking of a head, just a few. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Yes. All right. All right. So if you can find out what the option is um, from staff to make that possible, that that will be great. Last item that we're going to talk about in this section is the council emails and correspondence. All right. There were there were two issues there. Um, that's when uh, emails to council, the council at iowacity.org. Um, come to you, whether that's as it is now in the next packet or in real time. Um, and then the second issue was whether you want all um, uh, communication to council to be included as it is now on the um, council agenda on the consent calendar. I like the idea of getting the emails in real time. Yeah, I would agree, emails in real time. Um, as far as the consent agenda, it seemed like some items, it's, sometimes I personally don't think it's appropriate uh, to be there. Um, I wonder if it's if there's any way to have an option if people want it included? I think one thing we talked about was um, obviously if it's a consent, if it's a um, agenda item, it will be included under that item, but um, but not just any correspondence. Um, if, a, if a council member wanted to talk about a particular piece of correspondence, you could let us know and then we would put that on the council agenda. I think I personally like that approach. And then with respect to getting the, the emails in real time, I think what we talked about was forwarding them to your individual email addresses, just as a kind of reminder that you're not supposed to be replying all to these things. Okay. Seem like you have a majority of, uh, we're in agreement. Okay, great, thanks. I think it was unanimous, shocking. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on. Uh, clarification of agenda items for our uh, 7 p.m. meeting agenda today. Anyone have anything? I mean, I don't, I don't want to pull anything from the consent, consent agenda, but I, I would while we're doing it or after whenever the appropriate time is, I'd like to make a comment about the CPRB minutes, which include all their recommendations. Okay. Anything else from the formal meeting agenda? All right. Moving on to info packet, January 7th. I had a quick question about um, IP4, which was the 2020 building stats. Um, Jeff, I think you'd mentioned this before, but do you have a sense of just how that compares to other years? I noted in the, I think it was in like the um, financial report it was talking about fiscal years and had some statistics in the same info packet, but, and this was calendar year for the building um, stats on page 176, but just off the top of your head, do you have a sense of how down 
it is for 2020. Sorry to put you on the spot, you're muted. I have a quick suggestion since you bring that up, Laura. As I recall, I think staff does this every year. Would it be possible in a packet maybe to take this same report from the last five or six years and just put that in there so we could kind of look at it? I'm assuming we've had that same report every year. And if so, just give us the last five or six years maybe. Yeah, we have a, um, uh, a kind of an annual comparison uh, that's ready to go from 2009 to 2020. So that'd be a one-page report that we could we could uh, easily put in the packet. But uh, um, you know we finished the year as you can see with uh, 87 million uh, in construction value for for our permits. And uh, just looking back at the last four years, uh, it was 231 million, 192 million, 216 million, and 388 million. So uh, 87 million is the lowest uh, we've been. You'd have to go uh, all the way back to uh, looks like 2011 uh, before we were down in that that area. So uh, it was a tough year, uh, tough year. And and you know uh, in the report that we can issue or we can send to you, you'll notice that uh, it's different based on the type of um, uh, type of permit. Our single family and our uh, our single family uh, permits remain pretty strong. It's multifamily and commercial that you see a, a, a big drop off. But we'll put that report in, a, in a, a future packet for you. Thank you. And thanks for just that very general comparison. I didn't, that's kind of what I was going for is how much is it down? And the answer is a lot. So thank you. I, I have something, but I really don't know if this is on the IB or just like Jeff, uh, you know, the, what's it called, the uh, letter to us or email to us about the uh, 110 surplus that there is an option we can add it to the affordable housing if we need to. Uh, I just wanna see like what, what the council think about his recommendation for that. Yeah, just for clarification and for the public's understanding, um, the fiscal year 22 budget has a, $122,000 surplus. I don't have the exact number, but roughly $122,000 surplus. And as I was talking uh, with some of you over the course of this budget season, I've indicated that you certainly have the ability to apply that to a, a line item uh, without having to uh, adjust um, taxes and while still presenting a balanced budget to the public. So uh, if that's affordable housing, you know, you can, you can easily add a hundred thousand um, dollars and, uh, uh, put that towards affordable housing or for aid agencies or any any uh, initiative that you see fit. Um, and right now, it's just kind of excess surplus that we're showing right now. Could, could I make a recommendation? Uh, I, I think that the $122,000 um, funds, the surplus is very important. We're going to have other opportunities to talk budget. If we can hold off but definitely think about um, if there's any projects or any um, support for affordable housing, if that would be the one that we'll have it in a future budget conversation. But I think it's good for us to be, uh, have that in the forefront of our head. I, I've been on, like I said, I've been through a few of these and I know last minute, if we could avoid that last minute, you know, um, proposal is what I would, definitely suggest. 
but think about it and we'll, um, we don't have a lot of time right now to navigate through that though. All right. Any other item for January 7th? You're on mute. Sorry, went the wrong way. Uh, just quickly point out IP3, the Comprehensive Annual Financial Report. Um, this is a pretty significant report that Dennis and his staff put together. Um, it's a lot, of, a lot of detail there, but they do a great job and that's something they've gotten awards for a number of years. Anything else? Moving on to January 14th. Just IP, um, sorry, IP9, which was the strategic plan update for January 2021. Very well presented, lots of really good information. Um, if that hasn't yet gone out with like a, one of the city releases, I hope that it will shortly. Um, really accessible and helpful summary of also how we, um, how our adaptations in this really weird last year um, still fit with our strategic plan. So I was glad to see that. We do have item um, IP8, and that is for the joint entities agenda. Is there anything that someone wants to add? The city of Corville will be hosting. Um, yes, Mayor, I was giving some thought to that. And I I think if, if the rest of the um, groups that uh, attend that meeting would agree, I think we need to um, make some kind of a joint statement uh, that we, our community won't tolerate, um, how do I want to put it, um, anger and um, uh, maybe somebody else can come up with a phrasing for that, like the violence and the anger and the intimidation that we, we, we just won't tolerate in our communities. Uh, if, if others think that we maybe should bring that up. I guess personally, I, I'm not sure what we're referring to um, with the anger, violence, or intimidation. I mean, my, my sense is that that Councillor Taylor is re, is referring to what happened at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, essentially insurrection and the and the ongoing threats to state capitals that 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 we've heard about and are prepared for. Um, What are people's thoughts on? Mayor, I think I, I was thinking of that because of uh, the recent uh, events and the theme for, for this year's MLK events was um, uh, truth, love, and justice. And I think uh, if we could kind of play on that uh, as far as making a statement, that might be better. So are you thinking that our agenda item, we can more so make a statement and um, make a statement related to um, something that you mentioned, and I guess we can probably connect outside of this to create something if people are in agreement that we will right. do that. Yeah, right. Maybe a more positive spin on it would be that uh, the truth, love, and justice in the community as opposed to the negative aspects of it. Okay. Is this something that you would like to present? Um, when, when on the agenda item? from the city of Iowa City? 
Uh, I, I could if you'd like to, since I brought it up. Okay. I don't have a lot to say about it, except that I think that it's, that's, it's important at this time. Maybe what we'll do is we'll connect if people are in agreement with it, and then we can figure out who will present and, 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 all, and all that. So any other item that people want to suggest for the 25th Joint Entities Meeting? I mean, I, I have to, it's, I think it's useful to continue discussing COVID, at least to some extent. If I, the, I was really happy to see that on, on this evening's agenda. Um, I don't know if they want to have anyone speak to where, sort of to that group on, on where things stand uh, in this community. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can make a suggestion for the city of Corville to have a Johnson County representative come forth to talk about COVID. So we're yeah. saying not enough heads, Jeff, will you make uh, that request? And then I think we'll just, uh, um, I'll make the announcement of our change in time uh, starting in April. Anything else? All right. Um, we have, I think we'll just end here and we'll do our council updates at the end of our formal meeting tonight. All right, anything else? We will see you at seven and remember to sign out of this and sign back in to the new Zoom link. See you soon.